Faithful God, we cry to Thee, still bless us with Thy flavor. Blot out all our iniquity, sins forever. The text for the sermon this day is taken from the epistle lesson, which was read a little bit ago. Just as note, that hymn was from the old TLH hymnal, so it's kind of nice to dig up one of those old, old, old hymns. But anyways, the text today, like I said, is from Romans 8, verse 31 to 39, which was heard a little bit ago. And I think it's quite fitting because... Here we are at the end of 2019. We are on the eve of 2020, which I kind of like the joke where everybody's wondering if Barbara Walters would just say, Happy New Year's, and this is 2020. Okay, I know I'm not the only one that heard her say 2020 growing up. So, but think about the last year or even the last The whole decade, well, it's not technically the end of the decade, but the 2010s. Think about what you were thinking in 2010, if you were thinking about it. What were you expecting 2019 and 2020 to be? Has this last 10 years or even last year been everything you've ever hoped for, everything you've ever dreamed of? You think about the job or the career that you wanted to have. Are you where you wanted to be? And if you are where you wanted to be, is it what you thought it would, what it would bring to you? We all have expectations. We have our five-year goals, our 10-year goals, our 15-year goals. And... Do they, always, do they ever and always meet up to our expectations? See, throughout a decade, there are plenty of good moments, plenty of bad moments. Throughout a year, if you think about the last decade, for some people, this was the greatest decade of their life. The greatest 10 years. 2010s were better than the 20, 2000s. And then for somebody, it might have been an awful decade. Or maybe you're just thinking, looking at 2019. Was it a year of blessing? Or I should say a year where you had everything you wanted? Or is it a year that you were so happy it is done in a few hours? Such a polarizing thoughts as to a year. And there are some years, yes, that are great. There are some years that are awful. But what about not only in the things that you've maybe accomplished in the last 10 years or the last year? What about you as a person? At the end of every year, we make many, at the beginning of a new year, many of us make New Year's resolutions. I thought it was kind of funny online. I saw somebody was saying if you had a goal to, 
um, read the whole Bible in a year. Here's a three-day plan to catch you up. And started right at Leviticus 3, because I figured that's where people stopped. It gave a three-day plan to get the whole Bible done. But how many made a plan to read the whole Bible, and how many people made it? How many of us made plans to eat better, to exercise more, but didn't make it? But even more, what about, if you were to look on the year of the things that you have said and did, and I'm talking about even those things that you, no one else knows. What would that look like? See, I'm seeing people posting their last, what they've ha- what's happened in their life in the 2010s. They're showing all the highlights. But there are definitely thoughts and ideas and words that we have said to people that we would be ashamed if anybody knew that we did. See, the very easy thing for me to do is to take Romans 8 and tell you, and by the way, going back a few verses, and tell you, guess what? All you have to do is have a little bit more faith, put more money in the offering plate, and guess what? Your life will be awesome. Yes, there are preachers that make millions of dollars doing that. And their churches wouldn't even fill up, would overflow this sanctuary. The largest church in the United States actually pretty much teaches that. They average 40,000 people a week. I tell you, if you have the right, you have a can-do attitude, you believe what you want to believe, you believe the right things, you pray the right prayers, and some will go as far as to say how much you tithe or put in the offering plate, then God will give you your dreams. He'll give you what you want. He doesn't want you to have a, a get-by attitude. He wants you to have a, an abundant life, as they quote it, misquoting Jesus. But Romans is not speaking that words. It's not promising a physical, material blessings. Because right before this, Paul does give this promise that God desires, works for the best for all those whom he has predestined, those whom he has chosen for salvation. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. They're living under the reign of Emperor Nero. Nero was psychopathic. And what he did to the Christians was absolutely horrendous. He was famous for being the one that lit the streets of Rome's Rome with the burning bodies of Christians as if they were torches. And that is what the world that the, the church in Rome is dealing with. They're afraid. They're wondering what is going to happen. And so would, if, for Paul to say, well, you just need to have more faith and then you'll no longer be persecuted. Paul obviously didn't say that. But that's the way the word gets twisted. In fact, it's because they have faith that they're being persecuted. See, what is very easy to miss in that verse is that we think that, to get, that God to give us what is good, give us the best, is in this life. 
Where our reading begins today, if God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him graciously give us all things? So, as we think about the last year or ten years or whatever, all of those bad things, every, especially the things that we have done of our own will, our own sinful nature, it began in the garden, but the reality is, is that every single one of us are willing participants. We can never say, well, you know, if it wasn't for Adam and Eve, I would not have sinned. Nobody has to twist your arms to do things that you do. We do it of our own will, and sometimes we do it, we say, this is my chance to be bad. We say that as a kid, and sometimes we're an adult, we think that. That is our sinful nature. And it's on account of our sinful nature, the reality is that the last 10 years, there were many downs. I guarantee it that none of you could say 100% of the last 10 years or the last year or even the last week was exactly how you wanted it. You have felt the effects of what sin is. It may be shown in your relationships. In the last week, with it being Christmas, I guarantee it that a few of you had fights with certain members of your families and squabbles over whatever. It kind of seems to be almost natural course for many families. We live in the reality that there are many marriages that were people that were married at the beginning of the decade. They're not married anymore. We live in the reality that we are, at the beginning of the decade, there were kids who had both parents, but now they have to go to different places. This is, again, it's a product of sin. By the way, I am a child of a divorced parent, so don't think I'm poking at just divorced parents. But it's a reality, it's a far part of a fallen, sinful world. There's a reality that there are people that were here at the beginning of the 2010s, beginning of 2019, that are not here because they have passed away. All of it is a consequence of sin. But you see, when, G when in the garden, God gave a promise. He gave a promise that the offspring of the woman would crush the serpent's head. Exactly a week ago, about this same time, you heard the, the, the service of lesson and carols, and those lessons, if you paid attention to them, were all showing how God, through history, had planned for salvation. He had planned for redemption. He gave the promise to Adam and Eve. He gave the promise to Abraham. He gave the promise to Isaiah. He gave the promise to David. He gave the promise to Daniel. All throughout the Old Testament, you could find the promises being restated over and over and over and over again. And as the epistle lesson said this past Sunday, and in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he may redeem those under the law. Yes, see, as we go through this world and we look at the year that has happened, and we wonder what is next year going to be. 
We wonder, is it going to be bad? Is it going to be good? I guarantee you, there are going to be, sor- there are going to be sorrowful moments. There's going to be moments of grief. But this text, if God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how can he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, people wonder, why why does evil happen? Why does bad happen? Why does suffering happen? Paul doesn't give the answer, say, this is why this happens to you, why this happens. Instead, he tells them that God gave, did, he didn't, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for you. Think about that. We, cannot, we don't know why God does what he does. We don't know why God allows what he allows. Why does he allow, why does one person seemingly suffer more than another? And God doesn't give us that answer. And I don't think we could handle it because we are not God. Our brains would explode if we even began to ponder what he knew. But Paul instead says, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The one who worked from the beginning of from the garden, by the way, it wasn't even at the garden that he began planning. He already had a plan. We'll actually hear it in this Sunday's reading that before the foundation of the world, God chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight, which means that God planned before creation to send his son to be born of a woman, to, to be born under the law, simply that he may be rejected, betrayed, crucified, die and buried for you. To bring forgiveness to you, to redeem you, a lost and condemned creature. God orchestrated every little minute and second of history to make that happen. And by the way, he orchestrated every minute and a little second to make sure that that gospel came to you. Because notice you were chosen. You didn't choose him, he chose you. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You know, a lot of times I read those words, a lot of times when somebody's in the hospital, Somebody's on their deathbed, but it's still appropriate on a new year. Because whether your days were high, good, whether they are bad, the world punches you in the jaw, whether it was for the year to past and the year to come, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And what is that love? Romans tells us, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Nothing could separate you from that love. No matter how dark and grievous the days may be. And your sin, you are going to continue to sin. 
You think I'm a prophet? No, I'm not. It says, whoever says they're without sin, they deceive themselves and the truth is not in us. So yes, I'm pretty certain you are going to sin. I'm going to sin. And yet that sin cannot separate you from the love of Christ. Rather, that is exactly the reason why he became born of, the, of a woman, became human flesh, that he may redeem you of your sin, to wash you of your sin, to make you holy, without sin, without blemish, that you may stand before him. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whether it's the year past, things that happen, the year to come, no matter what comes, no matter what befalls you, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing, not death, not your sin, nothing. And when we stand in the midst of grief and wonder why, God doesn't give you an answer as to why. He simply says, look at the cross. That's how much I loved you. That is what I had planned from the beginning of history for you. That is how much he loves you. And when it says in Romans that God desires for the good of all who he has chosen, understand that may not be in this lifetime. The good may require you dying. Because remember, Paul is writing this. He was as faith, about as faithful as you could get at this point. Do you know how his story ended? He was beheaded. His life did not get better as he wrote, after he wrote Romans. It only got worse on this physical earth. Every single one of the apostles, except for one, executed. But, as Luther had this wonderful quote, do not fear the one who could cut off your head, for I know one who could grow it back. So in other words... The good may require death. But on the other side of death is the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. To that comes to fulfillment. To our God be all glory. Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen.